A quick disclaimer, the thoughts and opinions expressed on the Doored Up podcast are strictly those of the hosts and guests of the show and do not reflect official policies or viewpoints of any law enforcement, government, or public service entity, nor is the Doored Up podcast officially affiliated with said agencies. The Doored Up podcast contains mostly true stories told by the law enforcement officers, firefighters, emergency medical services personnel, military veterans, and first responders who lived through them. Some names and details may have been changed to protect the anonymity of persons involved. Realize that some listeners may be familiar with these stories, and we would encourage them to refrain from commenting with any clarifying details that might violate that anonymity. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, what's up? Welcome back, everybody, to the Doored Up Podcast. I'm your host, Drew. I sat down today with Shannon from Episodes 1 and 4 as well as arguably my best friend of all time. He's like my older brother. Uh, I can't describe him any better than that. He goes by a nom de guerre snake. He's still an operational and active member of the United States Army Special Forces community. He's a Green Beret, so he came in and sat down with us, told some more stories, talked about his transition and over to Special Forces from the regular Army National Guard. And uh, we had a good chat. He's uh, obviously one of the most influential people to me in my life. And uh, I can't be happy enough to have gotten him on the show. We're going to break this up into two episodes because it ended up being a lot longer chat than we had originally planned. So saddle up, buckle up, enjoy the ride. This is Snake Eater Part 1 with my best friend, my older brother, Snake. Yeah, it's, it's funny how music crosses any line, man. It's, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, I was introduced at a young age to Metallica by you. <laughs> yeah, uh I, I was thinking about that coming down here. If if you just if you go through our high school soundtrack. Yeah. Just and my my musical taste is still extremely eclectic now. Yeah. I mean, I love I love my heavy metal. Uh I don't rock out to it as much as I used to anymore, but once in a while like if I pop over onto Ozzy's Boneyard, I'll Oh yeah. You know, something classic will come on. And I'll just crank it. Uh, you know, it sucks to refer to 30-year-old heavy metal as classic classic rock yeah. now. That was um, last week we were doing a, a search warrant for property shit in this little tweaker house. And this guy had three or four boxes of cassette tapes. Hmm. And it was like Sabbath, <laughs> Priest, Metallica. Um, there was some Zeppelin in there, just yep. odds and odds. I'm like... I'm like, this guy's got pretty good fucking taste in music, and he's got cassettes. Like, that's pretty badass. Somewhere floating around down here, I've got a box of cassette so, so, tapes. So the last, the last cassette I have is, <laughs> I still have it, is uh, it's the Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome soundtrack. Oh, yeah, nice, nice. with the <laughs> Tina Turner cuts. Yep. Some good saxophone in that <laughs> Oh, it's great, you know. I love the way it opens up, like the movie, with One of the Living. Yep. Great song. And, uh, you know, for, for obscure movie reference music, yeah, you know, I love soundtracks. That's we, we were just talking, we have a, a text chain between the three of us. And just the other, just two days ago, I was flipping through HBO Max and was like, ooh, the Beverly Hills Cop movies. <laughs> so I fired it up and was watching Beverly Hills Cop and that Neutron Dance got oh, me. Oh, hell yeah. So I was texting these guys <laughs> like, oh man, such a good jam. I watched it yesterday. Yeah. I was like, oh, it got stuck in my head after that. <laughs> 
That's that's why I got the uh, I found the gif of the guy that played Balky on Perfect Strangers. Said it to you guys. Bronson Pinchot. Yeah. Foley. Yep. D- uh, Foley. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> for reference, today we're we're back. I have co-host just along for the ride today because he's missed out on the last several episodes. Is Detective Shannon is back. Hello. And we have one of my longest, I mean, God, but we're brothers. 25 years. We've known each other and been friends. I have, he's going by his nom de guerre today. We have Snake on the show. So welcome. Welcome. Yay. Applause. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I've enjoyed every episode that you've put on here. Yeah. Like you, I've run the gamut of being a former law enforcement officer. Uh, both detention and on the street. And, you know, I'm working on 23 years. That's a bit 23. I'll be 24 next year. I think I'm finally going to pull the plug on it. Yeah, because it would have been, what, 98? Yep. When you and my brother signed yep. up. So we, I have an older brother, and the three of us together are, we consider ourselves just a group of brothers. You're a surrogate that we picked up into our family, and you just... Yep have been there ever since well my senior year of high school my parents didn't have their shit together so yeah yours did they, <laughs> they, they let me live there with you and yep yeah it's it's one of one of the things that i'm continually humbled and grateful for yeah you know over 20 years later yeah the love and admiration i have for your mom and yeah stepdad or they're genuine and I, there's no way i could ever feel like i could repay them back yeah and they do listen to the show, so they'll hear that. Sometimes when they're like, I can't figure out how to get the new episode to download. I got to do the, be the Apple tech support for my folks. That's, so the Podbean, it automatically downloads it on my phone. Yeah, it does the same on Apple too. But sometimes there's like some mix up with the RSS feed and it gets a little wonky and you got to refresh it to get it to pull down the new episode. Well, the last I've, time it, I went to download the two latest episodes and it took, 20 minutes and it wasn't even complete yet. So I have an issue. It's either an update. Oh, yeah. It, but it's not my internet because if I download an Audible, it's quick. Sure. I can download an Audible in like less than 20 seconds. But 20 minutes later, I'm still waiting for the last two episodes to download. So I'm right. not sure what's the disconnect is on my phone. Hmm. That's weird. I know I was just a side note. I was going through all my analytics from Podbean and we're on Podcast Addict. I'm on, like, people listen on Google Chrome, people listen on Safari, like, they'll go on their web browsers and listen as well. So, mm. kudos to those people that are obviously at work and listening from their desk when they should be working. I love you all. I, I mean, it wouldn't it's be... research. Yes, it is. It wouldn't be, wouldn't be what it is without uh, people that want to listen to my, my stories and everyone else's stories, too. <laughs> it's not all about me. <laughs> so you have tw- you're going on 23 years 23 years now nice yeah so i'll have 20 in november and that's it yeah as soon as i hit that i'm begging for my letter so I, I can... I, i'd i'd love to keep going do it because you know you know for the last well, crap I, I switched over to special operations at the end of 2006 yep i remember because you asked me to go with you yeah, <laughs> and I was like, at the time, 
I was still in the guard, but I had kind of accepted my role and was not having a good time in the guard. <laughs> yeah. And it was one of those, like, I don't think that, I don't think that's the fit for me. No, it, it's, it is not for everyone. So, yeah. so when I say I switched over to special operations, what I wound up doing was going to a, one of the special forces groups and I basically dedicated three years of my life to getting selected and completing the special forces qualification course. Mm -hmm. And that's just how long the process took. That's, that's not, you know, just three years that I spent out at Fort Bragg sucking, sucking dick for dollars. Yeah. No, it was just, you got dwell time in between certain events and, you know, you got to wait for this paperwork to go through. And so like I went to, I went to selection in 2007 yeah, and went to, you call it SFAS school for advanced suffering, (laughs) but it's also, I mean, it it really stands for special forces assessment and selection. And it, and at that time they, they change it all the time duration and they jiggle up the content a little bit just to you know so guys can't work can't game it out right and kind of keep it fresh but when I went through it was 24 days long and you did you started off with like just a week of shitty ass PT log and rifle PT Mm Running I remember down sand trails. Yeah, I remember like the first because you started suiting drills. Basically, yep. that means you're like still assigned to one unit, but you go to another unit and you're hanging out with those guys and drilling with them. Yep. And you did that for almost a year, right? Yeah. So I started the IST in like December 2006. Yeah. And by it actually only took a few months for it to go through, and because I had a paragraph and line number where they already had me assigned. Right. And they, uh, their whole AGR structure is just beyond insanely dicked up and yeah. buddy fucking. That's their active active guard. Yeah, reserve. So, people. so I would go to these these drills at the, it was called the Readiness Enhancement Company, mm-hmm. and it was to prepare you for selection. Right. Well, it was three days of selection. Yeah. Every month. Every so, month. <laughs> so, you know, I, th- I thought, eh, I'm kind of close to being ready when when I started. And I'm like, I quickly found out I wasn't anywhere near close to being ready. I remember after the first one that you went down there and you were explaining, like, yeah, I did log PT for a whole fucking weekend. Yeah. Like, pretty much nonstop. I got to sleep a few hours. Yeah. I was like, that doesn't sound like fun to me no, at all, it's man. it's not. It's not. But, so, the thing is, is you... And I, and I tell guys this all the time, like when I come across like our support kids, mm-hmm. you know, guys that aren't long tabbed or anything that, that work for us. Right. And they're like, well, you know, I, I'm kind of looking at going into this. I'm like, okay, cool. All right. So you got to, you just got to remember why you're there, right. what you're there to accomplish. It's not, and they'll, they'll weed that shit out real quick. Yeah. Like, I just remember... I would go to these drills and I'd do my best and I quickly learned how to up my PT game at the time and prepare for this for long road marches, you know, with 
And you got to do them fast, too. Right. Because you're going to have a lot of time under a rucksack. Right. Um, especially in selection. There isn't – the only time you don't have that ruck on your back is when you're doing the PT test, which is the easiest event yep. in selection. <laughs> yeah. When you're doing log PT and rifle PT, which, of course, I – Someone told me, like, well, we didn't do that the last one, you know. So, so then the jokes go around, well, I was at the last hard class, you know. <laughs> yep. And it's it's funny. And, and it's – I'll keep going so I don't lose my train of thought. Yeah. But so I did that. I, I got I got into that. I was doing my rucks. But you got you to gotta figure out how to do, to do those ruck marches without injuring yourself while you're training. Right. Because, you know, some guys are like, well, I'll just put 100 pounds on my back and I'll just walk. And that's not how you do it. Your best way to do it to prepare is, you know, go 35, 40 pounds, 45 pounds, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ruck a few miles, call it good. You just, you're trying to condition your feet. Right. And your feet, your ankles, your shins, and your fucking knees and hips. Yep. Your lower chain. Like, oh, man, I'm aching right now just thinking about <laughs> basic training wearing those fucking shitty boots and shitty gear like yeah so you know and there there's this little it was they they were passing it around and uh before i went down there and it's a selection training guide okay it's about 20 pages thick you know and it's just a pt schedule is all it is sure it's like all right do this ruck this day well you could try and follow that Eh, it's okay but my pt turned into I would run an average of 18 to 20 miles a week. Mm-hmm. I would I would do my strength training, and I, I'd change it up, and I'd do, I'd do like a couple days of swimming, you know, mm-hmm. get that good anaerobic exercise, and it's low impact on your joints. Right. And I was a freaking stud, man. Yeah, I remember. Like, that's about the time, um, not to sidetrack you, but that's about the time that you were working for the PD yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a whole other story in itself. So Yeah, but I just, I remember being like, God damn, because I remember you would not, I don't know if it was daily, but you would hump Black Mountain oh, up and down getting ready for it. Yeah. I remember that because you were like, yeah, you want to go with me one day when I was up there during the summertime after that summer I got home. I was like, yeah, sure. And you fucking billy goated my ass. You smoked me so bad. I was so out of shape and just dying. <laughs> like, oh my god! I, I did. I, I think I did that to you guys one time, over on uh, that that one hilltop or hillside by a, a large reservoir by where we grew up. Yep. And because uh, yeah. there's a cave you've, up there, like, well, let's go check this you've out. You've always been the fucking Billy Goat, like just <laughs> effortlessly, up fifteen hundred fucking vertical feet straight up and just smoke everybody. Well, it served. Yeah, served me well because I wound up on a. Mountain warfare team, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I remember there would be periods where you'd, you'd go, once you got into, through SFAS, then there was like two months where you'd be at home and then you'd be gone for a month, you know, and I'd hear inter- from you intermittently and I'd, yeah. you know, get the same random text messages from you just checking in, like, I wonder where you're at. And you're like, I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I did selection, so I graduated s- selection, you know, so sewed up. Just throw some numbers on it. There were nearly 400 candidates when mm-hmm. I started out in my selection class. And 115, I want to say, is the number of guys that actually got selected. Right. So we attrited 
that other number of people out, you know, mm-hmm. they they 60, call it voluntarily withdrawing. 60%. Guys that quit. Right. Okay. Uh, guys that got med dropped because they got injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you'll have, which is like the worst fate of all, you become what they call a 24-day non-select. So one of the things going through all this is you do these peer evaluations. Okay. And, you know, if you're, if you're an asshat, <laughs> you know, you don't, because they, they divide you up into teams eventually, kind of. Right. And, well, at the end of it, they do. And you just do these suck-ass events. Like, here's a telephone pole, right? Right. Here's here's five five galvanized steel pipes, a spool of freaking tubular nylon, yep. and a couple of Jeep wheels. Yeah. All right, figure out how to drag this thing six miles down the road. <laughs> right, and an ammo can. <laughs> yep. Shit like that. You just... You know, one of those things. It, it's just brutal. And you have a rucksack. So, you know, they always say, like, well, it's 45 pounds dry, which you, 45 pounds plus your water. Right. So there, you know, we're still using the old Alice gear. Right. So you got two two-liter two, canteens. Had, had two one-quarts on my web gear and then had two two-quarts on the ruck. So you're carrying 15 pounds of water. Yep, 15 pounds of water. Well... Nobody really tells you is you're carrying rations. That, that ruck is a minimum of eighty pounds the yep. whole time, and whatever else you were dumb enough yep. to stick in there. And, and, and you got you got a freaking ten pound rubber duck M sixteen that you have to carry around with no sling. Oh fuck! It always blew my mind that carrying the rubber duck around that it weighed a good two pounds more than your normal A two. Packing that fucker around, you get your you draw your normal rifle out and go into road marks. Like this is so much nicer. It's way lighter. Well, well, trust me, you want it because you might come across something in the freaking woods of Hoffman, North Carolina. Yeah, that you got a club because you don't have <laughs> you don't have freaking <laughs> real two, ammo. Two leg variety of varmint, <laughs> varmint, freaking deer jump out of the brush, scare the dog shit out of you. Because for the majority. People. I've seen I've seen the fucking woods of North Carolina. Yeah. I've done some a little bit of field time there, and that fucking sucked. That was in July too, like full of ticks and all sorts of nasty fucking bugs they don't have around home. So the uh, the majority of selection, you're 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 on your own. It's an individual event, right? And when you start the land nav land navigation portion of it, it's you know it's no joke. You gotta. You got to be spot on. You got to know how to plot coordinates. Right. Know what your pace count is. Mm-hmm. Know how to navigate some of the worst freaking yeah dead draws re- dead of the rec- world. Dead reckoning. Yeah. Because there's no fucking terrain association in North Carolina. It, it's it's hard. You you, you kind of after you've been there a while, you kind of get used to it. You kind of see how cricks and streams are, you know, arranged. But it's still you, you need to. It's it's dead reckoning. You're looking at this tree to that tree to right whatever you know but you got to plan your routes smartly too so so you got a point like my first point was way up in the north and they start you at like one o'clock in the morning right and it's a timed event and if you gotta you gotta hit you know all your points and if you hit all your points on the first day at least at this point in time you know this is 15 14 15 years ago right and like all right, first time go, you got all your points, you get tomorrow off. <laughs> so it behooved you to be right. be on. And I got it too, you know. Nice. And there were 
So was that just barely? I had 15 minutes to spare by the time nice. I got to my last point. So night movement with or without nods? Without. Okay. Yeah, no nods. That fucking sucks, bro. Just your your 80 plus pound rucksack. Stumbling through the you, fucking pine lands of North Carolina. Your, your two lens attic compasses. Yeah. Your map case. If you were smart enough to get a good <laughs> map case, you could stow into your BDU top. And right. So, so the nice thing was, you know, they didn't care. You just you wore BDU top and bottom. You had to wear military boots. So one of the key things to have boots that were broken beforehand. Yeah. So I had a pair of I had a pair of jungle boots that I had ripple soles on. And I had a pair of the old Belleville desert hot weather desert boots yeah. that we got RFI when we were in Iraq. Right. Because they were the other pair of boots I had that were the best broke in and right. probably the most comfortable. And then you put arch, I put arch supports in mine because like they say you cover over 200 plus miles during that time under low, you know, underweight. Right. And, but yeah, I hit all those points. I got all my points by the grace of God. I got to, I was looking for my last one. I'm like, where the fuck is it? <laughs> and you know, clocks ticking down. I'm like, it's like one 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 little hillside away. I'm like, oh crap! And I ran, and I got it. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, you know. So you got a day to kind of let your feet recover. Right. And, and the other thing was is you could carry as many socks as you wanted. Sure. So I went out and bought like 25 pairs of high quality <clears throat> wool hiking socks. Right. And because I'm just like, I'm gonna have a fresh pair of socks every day. Yeah. Take care of my feet. You know, I watched, I watched one guy, he, he got selected, but he walked the soles off of his feet. It was, oh Jesus! you know, just people, you know, people don't know how to take care of themselves, Yeah, but they learn, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, I made that, that was an accomplishment. And then, then they sent, then I had to go to airborne school. Yeah. And that was in uh, lovely Fort Bragg or Fort Benning. Sorry. And I went there with three of my buddies that it wasn't terrible, but I, I had an injury from when I was a kid where I had a horse fall on my leg, mm-hmm. slipped on some pavement. We were out gathering cows and well, now I get tendonitis in that knee oh. and we're doing, they had these paved tracks at Fort Benning right. in the airborne training complex. Mm-hmm. And you would do the airborne shuffle around these fucking tracks and it just Beats you to death. Yeah. It's not fat. It's faster to walk. Right. And, you know, if you tried to walk, they're like, oh, you need to do the shuffle. And you're just like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, and I fucking tendonitis got so bad in my knee. It's like, I just got done with selection. I'm not a piece of shit. You right. Know? But just learn how to deal with those things. So went to jump school. You know, the scariest part of it was. There was a bunch of ROTC cadets in that class. And these are just kids that are scared out of their fucking gourds. Right. And the the only thing I wanted was one, they're hydrating the shit out of you. Right. Because this is May in Georgia and it's it's hot and humid. So they're force suck, hydrating you. You know? And so you're sitting there in a parachute harness for hours. After you do your initial jump master pre-inspection, they call JMPI, and you're sitting in there. You wait for the aircraft to show up, and you got to piss, and they won't let you go because 
if you undo the leg strap, you have to be re-JMPI. Right. So my motivation for jumping out of the airplane was <laughs> get on the ground as quick as I could to take a fucking piss on the drop zone. God damn, to, I had to go. You could learn how to pee while you're falling. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, I got through that, you know, got turn, turned into a five-jump chump, but I, I got many more jumps after that. I was going to say, that. you've had many more since then. Got through that, married my wife. Shout out to her because she, uh, she's had to endure a lot of shit. Yeah, from the from the military and me, and she she still finds something worth salvaging at the end of the day, <laughs> and lets me be a part of her life. Yes, so I do love your wife. She's she's busy today wrangling yep. kids, but yes, I've always enjoyed her, and always kind of thought that maybe she was a little crazy for having you in her life. <laughs> <laughs> well. What did I tell her? I said, you got to, or maybe she said it. She's just like, well, if you weren't smart, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be together. So I need someone just as smart as I am. And she's got the master's degree and I don't. Yeah. So, so maybe, maybe that says something, but no, she's awesome. And I couldn't do it without her. Yeah. I, so, I, I've tried, but, and failed miserably. Yeah. I remember that period of time. It was pretty, pretty shitty for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how many jumps total do you have? Do you keep track? Uh, I don't know. Probably not as many as you'd think, but I, I might be between 30 and 40. Sure. Well, so, that's more times than I've ever jumped out yeah. of a fucking plane. <laughs> or a helicopter. So I, yeah, or whatever. I, that's a cool thing. When you do special forces, you get to deal with a variety of aircraft. And I, I've parachuted out of, you know, C-130s, which is pretty standard. Yeah. But the great thing is, you know, we do it in a small element, and we jump off the ramp of the aircraft. Mm-hmm. And like when you do, if you're if you're not a soft specific airborne billet, right? You're doing what they call a mass tack, right? And they're just dumping dudes you're out the door out the, like it's D Day out the side doors, <laughs> you right? know. And I don't want to go. I don't want to <laughs> go. Yeah, there, there's no jump refusals. That's the other thing. They're like, well, you could refuse to jump. Most of the time they'd try. I think I watched this chick try and refuse to jump when I was at airborne school. And the, yeah. the jump master, the, the jump master just put his boot in her pack tray and kicked her out the door. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the joke is that with, with jumping out of an airplane, that takeoffs are optional and landings are mandatory. Takeoffs are also not optional. You're yeah. getting the fuck out of that plane. Yeah. From, I what think I, from what I've been told. I have taken off in more planes than I've landed in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but back to the aircraft portion. Uh, so C-130s, uh, jumping out is cool. They're called Casa 212s. It looks kind of like a little miniature C-130. Yeah. You can fit 12 dudes in it. Mm-hmm. And just got two two little turboprops on it. And those are the like the wing overs, right? Yep. Like the wings, like the, the wings over the fuselage. We see Coast Guards always use them. Yeah, maybe. Uh, you know, there's certain three-letter agency that uses it quite quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, Non-governmental. And an NGO. Three-letter <laughs> NGO. Non-governmental organization. Whatever Air America is now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, uh, so the Casa 212, that's a great jump, you know. And the, the coolest plane that I jumped out of was a Russian Anatov 212. Yeah. And this is a Russian biplane. You told me about this one. With, with a piston motor on it. And you could fit 12 guys in it. 
the stall speed on this aircraft is 35 knots. Holy shit. So (laughs) it's not super fast, but it's cool. I remember. So I jumped out of this. I was in Moldova doing Mm -hmm. some advancing the United States interests. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I love the way you put that. (laughs) Uh, And that was our partner force jump, you know, that we did. Sure. And uh, they started it up and it, the sound of that engine, it's a Russian copy of a Pratt & Whitney double wasp engine. Sure. And when, when you hear the hyperdrive fail on the Millennium Falcon, yeah. it makes that same sound. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I thought you said you fixed it, Chewie. Yeah, so <laughs> me, and, me and my team were sitting there, you know, they were firing it up and it makes that sound and it doesn't start. I'm like, my people said they fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> we all laugh, and then they get it fired and go out again. But that thing was cool. I got video of it, too. I got GoPro. Yeah, yeah I remember you you came over one day and showed me a bunch of videos. And Was that the one where you almost crashed into the dude? So, yeah. We call it sky sharking. <laughs> so there's some rules when you jump, you know. Always look before you slip. Lower jumper has a right away. Okay. Slip is just a fancy term for turning. Right. And no, my, my medic at the time, he comes, I'm sitting there. I'm like, all right, turn face into the wind. Cause that slows your descent. Right. Slows how fast you hit the ground. And it keeps your chute blown up too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he comes, he's right. He's rolling with the wind. And I see him, he's just got the toggles, and he's working a, you can't see my hands, but they're just <laughs> like this. And like he's climbing a ladder. And I'm like, hey, hey! He's like, ah, you know. <laughs> so he missed me, thank God. But my other medic, because, you know, I always roll with two of each MOS on the on a team when we can. Sure. He got, he got into an entanglement, which is bad, bad news. Right. Well, what happened was there was half of us were on the bird, and then we had four Moldovans that were going to follow us out. Okay. And there's a reason you give yourself a good one, one and a half second interval spacing right. when you exit the door. It's so you're not riding the other dude's pack tray out the door. Right. It's how you get fucked up. It's how you get killed. And <laughs> this Moldovan lieutenant basically rode my buddy's pack tray out the door and... He tried and tried to get untangled. They didn't get hurt. Right. You know, they, they just, they rode, rode down. They are just hopelessly entangled. Right. So what's your, like, what's altitude on that? That's So that one, we did 2,500 feet. Okay. And one thing I never realized, because when you're doing it, when you're in the middle of it, it's like, it, it seems like it's just seconds. Right. You know, that you're in the air and then, bam, you smack it on the ground, do your little PLF. Yeah, or try to. <laughs> try to. <laughs> and uh but like watching that video, it's like you're you're there for from that altitude for a good two, three minutes. Right. Depending on, you know, how hot the air is, you might catch a thermal. But if you're a bigger guy like me, you know, about average SF guy, six foot tall, six you foot know, tall, 195, 200 pounds. Yep. And so you fall average. Bigger guys, they just fall like rocks. <laughs> they hate it. Lighter guys, they'll catch a thermal. They'll be like, can I come down? (laughs) (laughs) I was uh, talking about jumping out of different aircraft. We've got a buddy that 
uh, worked at the jail with us at the sheriff's office. And uh, he's an airborne dude, a crunchy. And uh, he was talking about when he was in Germany, you know, years and years and years ago in the 90s, that they had to do a dog and pony show reenactment jump out of C-47s. And he said that they got up, you know, like load them out of the plane when it's dark because they're doing some reenactment shit. And by the time that they jump, it's like, it's, it's dark, dark. And uh, he said they're looking around like while they're in the plane getting ready to jump. And they're like, is that fucking duct tape? They're like, that's fucking duct tape. Like <laughs> holding the plane together. Get me off this fucking plane. He's got some of the funniest stories about get, like getting hung up in trees and on night jumps and shit. Like, and not realizing that you're, you're only, you know, three feet off the ground because you yep. can't see anything. It's just black as black outside. But yeah, jumping out of a C-47, I think. In the right circumstances, that would be pretty cool. So I would love, like, they usually do, like, a Normandy jump every year in June. Yeah. I would love to go do that. Yeah, that'd be I, pretty I doubt cool. it's ever going to happen. Yeah. But that would be way cool to do because they get to jump out of C-47s. Yeah. And, you know, you go there. Do they do the reenactment, the beach landing? No, <laughs> fuck that. They did. Um, they did, I remember on the 50th anniversary of D-Day in 94. Yep. Because D-Day is my brother's birthday. Yep. And, uh, on June 6th. And I remember watching that. They had a, like a big dog and pony show and like a big news, news deal and talking about like a big memorial. Because I think that's when they opened up the, like all the, the memorials that they have there in Normandy was in 94. And I remember watching it on the TV, and it was like a super shitty, gray, rainy day. Yeah, Being just like, like yeah, the day. Just like it was on the actual day. Actually, <laughs> being voluntold to do that. What are we doing? We're going to take World War II landing crafts across the water? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sure that they just, like, drove them out from some other part just down the beach, and hopefully, hopefully that's what they did. So from Airborne, what school did you go to next? So from Airborne... A couple months later, the end of July, I started. Uh, I started the the actual Q course. Right. And so, and the first part of that we jokingly call selection phase two, right? <laughs> or the second selection because what we do is it, they call it. It's broken up into phases, and they call it phase two. And the primary focus of phase two is all right. So everybody that goes to selection, you know. They would prefer that they cut, you know, guys come in from combat MOS billets, you sure. know, infantrymen, combat engineers, but you know, anybody, anybody who's got the physical aptitude, you know, can try out. Right. That's not a total dirt yeah. bag. So, you know, and there's been varying requirements over the years, you know, different programs, uh, you know, the old adage was, well, you need to be E4 promotable to E5 at a minimum, have to have at least four years in service. Well, there's another program called the 18 X-ray program yep. where it'll take dudes off the street, yep. put them in that billet. Yeah. So the thing about that program is if you, if you do that, go to Big Army, and you don't get selected. Then you're stuck in Big Army. You're generally guys are... They wind up in the 82nd Airborne. Right. Because they're already there at Fort Bragg. But it's the needs of the Army after that point. Right. You go wherever they need a warm body. But you can try again, unless you get what they call an NTR and never to return. Sure. Uh, you know, you, you probably have to fuck up pretty bad to get one of those. I'm yeah. guessing. 
I'm guessing. Yeah. But I'm sure there's several oh, people who happens. pulled it off. And you can be dropped at any point through the whole Q course. Right. And be NTR'd. It's just because they don't like the cut of your jib. Yep. Yeah. There's, uh, you know. Well, and I, I think absolutely for good reason. Like, only the people that, you know, running that selection course, you know, if it is a personal issue, so be it. It happens. Yep. But it's it happens for a good reason. So now that I backtracked with that bit, going back to phase two. So phase two is a small unit tactics phase. It's basically a little miniature ranger school. Sure. And the emphasis is uh, basically teaching everybody. The reason I went back to saying that was because, you know, not everybody is an infantryman. Right. So you got to get everybody, you know, some some working and competent knowledge on how to conduct small unit tactics. Right. You know, uh, st- stuff straight out of the old school 7-8 manual. Yep. Um, Ambushes, patrols. Yep. Raids, reconnaissance, yep. ambush, I have, a, I have a copy right over there behind yep. you. Yep. I think you gave me that 7-8. I think you, maybe you gave me that one, or I swiped it from somewhere. I've got a whole stack of old If it's got a set there. of highlighter blue cross rifles on it, it's <laughs> the one I gave you. Uh, so you go through all that, and, you know, you're, you're basically organizing a little squad. Yeah. Uh, you're not quite put into a team. You see me air quoting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you go through and you do that, and then you get evaluated in different positions on the Right on that squad, you know whether you're the patrol leader, alpha team leader, bravo team leader, whatever. Not not unlike the very very basic version of that I went through at PLDC. Yeah, which uh, I think I was the last one of the last National Guard classes to go through old style PLDC before they changed it to WLC, the Warrior Leadership Course, and that's basically what you need to know to move up to a leadership, junior leadership position as a E5, as a sergeant. And that's, I went through that as a, I think I was pretty sure I was still an E4 before I went through PLDC. Yep. So through that, you do that. Um, And it's tough. It's, it's, it's not much fun, especially when you did it in October, November, December. Yeah. Like I did, because it gets cold and rainy. Yeah. And I just remember being cold all the time. And, you know, we'd go out and do these patrols. We, I remember one night we did this patrol. We did our ambush, you know, so you do your ambush, and then you go and you set up a patrol base. And with your patrol base, you do patrol base activities where you reconsolidate equipment, you know, right. reorganize, cross-load ammo, make sure weapons are maintained properly. You set up a little security position, then you implement your rest plan. Right. So, depending on how quick you got all this done, depending on how much, if you actually got to sleep. Right. But I remember one night, you know, and there's there's a deliberate patrol base, which is where you actually dig ranger graves and Mm -hmm. get your slit trench in the middle. And, you know, guys are got your crew serve weapon pointed down the most likely avenue of enemy approach. Right. And... And then there's the best kind, a hasty patrol base. Yeah. Which is where you go you go find the worst piece of freaking brush and draw and you break your way into it. You dog leg into the into all that undergrowth and crap. You go where nobody wants to go. <laughs> and then 
you, you divide yourselves in half, go back to back, and plop down. Yep. And then uh, you set a claymore in your dogleg entrance, <laughs> and uh, you pass the clacker around on your fire guard shift. Yeah. Everybody sleeps. And I remember we did one of those, and it was raining. And we had we had PVS-14 nods at this point in time. Yeah. So single tubes. Yep, single tubes. And I had my poncho, and it was raining. And I just remember I was tired, smoked, wasn't ready to quit. I didn't feel like quitting. I just wanted to rest just wanted for to a sleep. minute. <laughs> so I just remember I threw the poncho over me, and I got my head leaning on my kidney pad on my rucksack because it's down on the ground. I'm unhooked from it. I'm using it for a pseudo pillow, pull my poncho over me. The rain's coming down. The I still have my nods on on the skull crusher. Yeah. So it's like a little tent pole, <laughs> and my legs are hanging out from under the poncho, just getting soaked, and I didn't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I just went to sleep. <laughs> Speaking of Firewatch, I have a funny story. I got to interrupt you. No, no, you're good. Because you'll remember this story. You know what story I'm going to tell. I graduated from basic and AIT at Fort Sill, and you and my brother and my yep. dad came down and came down to my graduation and picked me up. <laughs> and we drove back to my dad. My dad was living in another state uh, south of here at the time. And it was, what, 10, 12-hour drive yep. from, from Fort Sill to dad's house. So that was like we drove part of the way that first night, like from Fort Sill, I think, to somewhere around Amarillo. Yeah. And we get in the car like... And this is like, I'm finally back in the civilian world. I'm able to relax and I get in the, in the passenger seat and I'm still in my fucking class A's and I zonk out and I'm crashed out sleeping. And like, I don't know how long we've been driving, but it's fucking nighttime and I'm asleep and this dickhead (laughs) is fucking behind me in the, in the back passenger seat. And he's like, Hey bro, Hey man, wake up. You got fire watch. And I'm like, yeah, all right. All right. And I sit up like wide awake, like ready to get the fuck out of my rack. (laughs) And go sit at the fucking CQ desk on Firewatch. And I've realized that I'm in the car and I'm no longer in basic training. And I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> like, you son of a bitch. I was mad about that for years. This is the first time. Like, that's like when I, not when I came up with the rule that like, you fuck with me while I'm sleeping, we're going to have problems. Like, it's all fun and games to play fuck, fuck, like, Mess around with people and play jokes. Not while I'm fucking sleeping, bro. Like, that's off limits. I had forgotten about that (laughs) until you just started bringing it up. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One one of the many ornery, obnoxious things that I have done and continue to do. Yeah, but it's because you knew. You knew how good I was sleeping, and you knew what a good fucking joke it was. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When we were in Baghdad. Yeah. We had that rat problem in our room. Oh, yes. I have a rat story, too. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in a top bunk. Snake is sitting down. I, you were down on the bottom bunk yeah. just before you left. And I snap. Well, I don't want to get out of bed. I think I use my flashlight to get your attention. And you come over like, rat trap. So he grabs his K-bar. Stabs <laughs> <laughs> that rat and holds it up. Ah, got it. Yeah, I know because I was up on the OP <laughs> that we talked about in yep. episode nine 
was it episode nine or episode eight? Oh no, one of the last I two think episodes. It was episode nine where you're talking about so talking about OP. talking about the OP. So it's like fucking two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, and me and another dude are up in the OP, and uh, I hear Snake down there, and uh, he called me Rabbit. He's like, "Hey, Rabbit!" Like, so you cut the rabbit. <laughs> so like, I fucking lean out of the OP and look down there, and he's in his fucking. He had a pair of these fucking UDT tiger stripe fucking booty shorts that he would wear, like the old frogman shorts, and a fucking t-shirt. His homemade t-shirts? His flip-flops, yeah, he had like all the brown t-shirts, he would graffiti these fucking t-shirts and draw like metallic, you know, like your old Metallica album covers and shit on there. <laughs> that, that, Trouble Little China. <laughs> that was my best one. I still have it. It's in my war chest, my big Trouble Little China t- Jack Burton t-shirt. <laughs> Who is Jack Burton? <laughs> me so then i hear him like yelling i look down and he's in his fucking in his fucking uh silkies with his fucking t-shirt on with a headlamp and he's got this giant rat stuck to his fucking k-bar and he's like look <laughs> and i'm like what are you doing and he's like i killed a rat in our fucking room and then he takes the knife and he just flings it <laughs> and the, <laughs> the rat goes flying <laughs> like up over and gets like hung up it in the sea wire. The sea wire. <laughs> <laughs> Dead rat hanging in the sea wire. And it was 20 up feet there in the air for for the year. rest of the fucking tour. It was up there <laughs> until you, because you left early. Yeah, I know? left a couple months early. Yeah, because you had enough time uh, from active. Yeah, I had another freaking stateside deployment and I maxed out on my Title 10 time. Yeah, and then. Um, you had left, and I remember you had a pair of boots, and you threw them up over the <laughs> telephone wire, like when you were leaving the hood. Yep. Yeah. Somebody was telling me they tried to get them down. I don't recall. Why? They were just I don't there. know. <laughs> they probably wanted a pair of boots. Yep. But that was this. Yeah, it's the same story, just a continuation of the, <laughs> the rat. See, it's good. You got the point of view from Shannon's from yep. our little s- squad hooch. Yep. <laughs> Saw the inside. Then when I went outside, and yeah, and I got your attention, like, look, <laughs> got my confirmed kill. Yeah, <laughs> I got my first confirmed kill. This fucking rat stuck through well, his K-bar. And you remember on uh, the Prime Minister's rooftop, well, you were down in machine gun nests usually. Uh, I chased I chased a rat on the top of that building down to like the, because there were There's like four, there was like three levels. levels to that roof. Down to like the second level because the thing skittered down the stairs and I got the K-bar out. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> Dude, that was a great place to work. Oh, it was awesome. I'm so glad we got that that gig compared to everything else. Yep. Yeah. Everybody else's spots. I, we Ours wasn't bad, but we weren't like at the actual house. We were outside. We weren't allowed to go in really in case of emergencies. Yeah. We had an easy gig. It was nice. Once we figured out, like, all right, I don't think anything's going to happen here. And we settled in, and then I don't know. There's a couple little things where they tried. But let me let me finish wrapping through a few cores. <laughs> yeah. And then, then we'll, th- tell th- we'll go back stories. in time. Then we'll go forward. Yeah, we'll tell some Baghdad stories. Because <laughs> that's that's where the real the real juice is. is yeah. Our, our fun and... Operation Iraqi Freedom. <laughs> uh, so back to the Q course. So I get through us SUT, mm-hmm. and so there's Seer School is attached to that Phase Two portion. Yeah. So there's another 19 days of fun. It's probably it's probably one of the coolest schools you can go to. It also has one of the shittiest portions of it. Yeah. Because you know 
survival, survival, everybody loves a survival phase. Right. You know, where they're teaching you, you know, here's how you butcher animals. Here's, you know, here's the kind of leaves you want to wipe your ass with. Here's right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not these three-leaved yeah, oily not, ones. Not, not any of the poison <laughs> variety. <laughs> the itchy ones. Yep. And trust me, there's plenty of poison ivy in North Carolina. Oh, fuck yeah. The only thing to save my life was I had a little tube of Benadryl gel. Oh, yeah. Uh, anytime I get a breakout of that stuff. Because you, you, moving around in the dark, yeah, you might brush against a tree that had a vine of that shit on it. You don't know. Yeah, because you had poison oak, right? Something. Po- yeah, poison ivy. I, I got it real bad in uh, AIT. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I had remember. it all up the back of my thigh. It was fucking horrid. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Is AIT your basic? I can't remember. But so back to that. Uh, survival was awesome. Uh, you go into your evasion, the evasion phase. It's kind of cool. Uh, so for so any, I, anybody that's listening that doesn't know, SEER is survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. Yep, that's correct. Sorry, I didn't. That's okay. Caveat I just, that beforehand. I, I, after listening to the last two episodes with all the acronyms, acronyms. we were throwing out and like not explaining any of that shit, there's there's people that have listened to that that are civilians that are like, I you guys are speaking a foreign language. Yes, nothing nothing will piss my wife off faster than using an acronym. And my mom. <laughs> yep. I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> so let's get into evasion. Well, and that was cool too. Kind of sucks starving. Yeah. Because, okay, yeah, they teach you how to do this. If you're lucky, you might, you, you, they let you set snares in these these lanes. There's a couple different areas, you know, in that area that they use. Right. Where you got to evade through your evasion corridor. And you can set snares to capture animals. Okay. So here's the other thing you got to realize is, Special Forces has been training in this area since 1954. Right. It is picked clean. There's (laughs) nothing there. And I went through in January, and there is fuck all (laughs) for vegetation to find there. I remember we were moving through our corridor, and I stepped on the ground. I looked on the ground. It looked like horse shit, like horse apples. Yeah. Well, it, it was walnuts. They were still on the rinds. I was sitting next to this oak tree or whatever, yeah, or walnut tree. Walnut tree. Yeah, walnut tree. A hardwood variety. Right. Deciduous tree. <laughs> native to... Uh, a certain part of the yeah. southern United States. Yep. So, like, oh, shit. So, I, you know, I tell my teammates, like, gather these up. And we get to our next hide site. Like, we get our little knife. And we're scraping the rinds because it's freezing. Right. So you got to... Scrape the rinds off these things. Well, by the time I find a couple of suitable rocks to smash them open, the 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 nut portion was like <laughs> you you burned way more calories trying to open these damn things than you were ever going to recover from yeah. eating them. It's not like, like the walnuts you get in the bag. Nope. It's like a fraction of that. <laughs> yep. I'm just like. <laughs> so was, I think it was you that was telling me that in a prior course. That a dude had snuck his cell phone out onto the evasion lane and ordered a pizza? Y- yes. Yes. <laughs> they either st- did that or they went to a pay phone and ordered Oh, one. yeah. <laughs> so when they when they went to the... Because everybody gets caught. Yep. Everybody, that's the thing is no matter how awesome you evade, 
you're still going to get caught and you're going to go to the, uh, the prisoner camp. Yeah. Which is an important part of the training too. Yeah. And probably everybody's least favorite part. Yeah. But yeah, so they found out because... Didn't they keep the fucking receipt Yeah, they kept their fucking receipt, dumbass. <laughs> I would have ate that. Yeah. Ate that too. Ate Fuck it. it. <laughs> or burn it in your fire. But you, you got to consider is you're tired, you're hungry, you're not operating with your best faculties. Sure. Uh, you know, and that's how these courses are designed, you know, so you know how to work through that. Not just the uh, SEER school, but right. many portions of the Q course. Selection. Good. Yep. So you fall to your highest level of training. Yep. I've told people, I said, selection is not about you on your best day. It is how do you perform on your worst day yep. continually. Right. Uh, it's it's an endurance event. The Q course is an endurance event. Right. You know, you're looking at the shortest way through, it's almost a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got you to gotta maintain that focus and keep your eyes on the prize. Yep. Because eventually it does come to an end. And, uh, and then the fun stuff starts. But, so yeah, yeah, that, whoever did that in that previous class, yeah, they, they, they got dropped from the course. They either got an integrity violation and they yeah. got an NTR. Yep. Or they may have been given a chance to repeat Sears school. It just depends. Yeah. But I can't, only, I, I can't really comment a whole lot on the, uh, like the POW portion. Yeah. Just because there's a lot of, they've declassified a lot of it, but I, I haven't read whatever declassified document they put through there. So sure. I don't want to, you know, I went through violate any non-disclosure agreement that I've signed <laughs> multiple may, times. May or may not have been forced to sign yeah. <laughs> under duress. <laughs> I had a, so when I went through 13 Mike school to get reclassed as high Mars, my instructors there, both of those guys were high Mars, but they were SF support artillery units. Yeah. So they had to go through, Seer, they had to go through a lot of the training specific to SF and yep. with those guys. And they were telling me, like, the one guy, he's like, I fucking dodged it. I dodged that course for years and years and years. And then finally it caught up to me and they made me go. He's like, they made me go to fucking Seer. And at the time, like, I was a fucking generator mechanic. Like, that was my MOS. That was my job in the Army. So they <laughs> send me to Seer. He's like, and I fucking hated it. And I got caught. And they bring in, they're doing the interrogation portions of it. And he's like, they get me in there. And he's like, by that time, I hadn't eaten anything in like three days, except for maybe some cold fish and rice. And they get you in there and they're interrogating me like, what do you do? He's like, I'm a fucking generator mechanic. And they're like, bullshit. And they put a fucking, he said they put a pen and paper in his hand. And they're like, if you're a generator mechanic, write Ohm's Law. So he's like, all right. And he's like, starts right. He's like, I had like five pages of shit written down. Like, I swear to God, just to fucking give me some food. I'll tell you whatever you want to know. So <laughs> during that portion, it's, that's totally legit. Yeah. And so guess who else was a small wheeled vehicle mechanic? <laughs> me. Yeah. And getting the tar beat out of me. And he's like, what is your job? It was a 63 Bravo, a small-wheeled vehicle mechanic. What is your unit? I'm like, no. <laughs> 960th Field Maintenance Company. And, you know. Yeah. And, and my story worked, you know, because mm-hmm. trust me, they they will verify it. Right. Know? And here's the other thing. When I go back to, you know, mental acuity under duress and, all right, so guys try to try to outsmart the instructors. Sure. 
No, no. So the a lot of the people that are instructing these courses are way smarter than most of us mm-hmm. on our best day. Yeah, and they so have they get to when, sleep when you're starving, eat. sleep deprived, and just stupid off of no sleep. It's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Again, you fall to your lowest level of training, which you get beforehand. You get trained on how to right. go through that. And surprisingly, the short amount of time that you have before that, what the, the techniques they teach you, and if you apply them correctly, it works out in your favor for the most part. Right. But it's an interesting experience. I'm not going to repeat it. That's I remember you saying, like, <laughs> I'm glad I got to got the opportunity to go. Yep. But if I if I have the choice, I'm never gonna go back. Yeah. I so, remember you telling me that. So going back through going back to attrition rates. Right. Th- throughout the Q course. So I try to tell people they're like, well, because everybody was like, Well, what's special forces? You know, how's that compared to Navy SEALs and how's that compared to blah blah blah? And I'm like, it's Different job sets. Right. Uh, it all sucks. But <laughs> I said, okay, so, you know, Navy SEALs, buds, they they weed out a buttload of people. Sure. And it takes a special person to complete that. And yeah. kudos to those guys for doing that. So is selection easier in buds? Hell yeah. Because uh, I have buddies that went to buds, mm-hmm. you know, and then went through selection, and they're like, oh, this is easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. Right. But compar- you know, comparatively, yes. But our jobs are different. Sure. The, the rest of, so you complete buds and all that. It, the whole, you know, seal pipeline's not two years in length either. Right. You know. And there, there's plenty of opportunities to attrit more people out of the course. So like phase two. So I did my SUT, Sears School. Started out phase two with like 93 guys, and 33 of us moved on sure. to the next phase. Now, was the, were those all the same dudes that you started SFAS with? No. Okay. No. Because, so they're running a class, you know, and it right. just happens to be whatever class you roll into when, okay. when you start the course. So, that was But my... those guys that you start phase two with are going to be the guys that you graduate with. Okay. At the end of the course. Right. Uh, unless they're... A medic, because the medic MOS portion is a year in itself. Right. And so you'll get guys that were there the year before that jump into your later classes. Right. So correct me if I'm wrong. There's, you've got the Bravos, which are weapon specialists. Yep. You've got Camo. Yep. And then you've got medics. There, is there... So, all right. So it's 18 series MOS. Uh, you have 18 Bravo, which is your weapon sergeant. Mm-hmm. You have 18 Charlie, which is your engineer sergeant. Okay, yep. I knew I was uh, missing one. You have your 18 Delta. That's your medics. Okay. And then you have your 18 Echo. That's your combo guy. Right. All right. So that makes up, those are the eight core, or the four core MOSs on the right. on an operational detachment alpha. And then you've got specialties underneath of that. Yeah, so everybody can get a subset, you know, a su- Subspecialty identifier, right? Uh, the uh, and that's that's army wide yeah. for, so, for people who don't who might not be aware. Like when I left, I was a thirteen mic two zero hotel, which yep. means that I was uh, thirteen mic qualified, which means I was a high Mars uh, crew member. The two zero it means that I was a gunner or in a 
leadership position. So I was promoted to E5 to sergeant. And then the hotel was I had an instructor designation. So I had gone to the Army instructor training course. Yep. And then it's Army-wide. They've got got all sorts of designators and shit. Like, you know, so 3-0 is obviously senior leadership, E6, E7. You're moving up from there, and then you get all these designators for all these special courses that you go to, things that you're qualified to do. Exactly. Uh, so also on the detachment, there's four other four other positions. That's the leadership element. Yeah. Which will be your captain, which will be your detachment leader, the warrant officer, which will be the assistant detachment commander, mm-hmm. the 18 Zulu, that's your team sergeant. Mm-hmm. That's who's really in charge. <laughs> and then you'll have the 18 Fox. 18 Fox is the intel sergeant. Okay. So you can't pick up the Fox MOS until you've had a certain amount of time on a team. And then you go back to another course. You go to the Intel course. Right. And so it's all broken up. The The detachment organization is meant to mirror a battalion S shop. Right. So when I talk about S shops, it's the S shop is, we'll call it for, for you non-military people, we'll call it your corporate headquarters. Yeah, it's, it's very much... Um, kind of organize that you, same you sort of way. You have personnel, which is your S1, intelligence, which is your S2, operations, which is your S3, uh, your supply and logistics will be your S4, and then S6 will be your signals. That's uh, your, your communication, yep, radios. Communication stuff. Like okay. if you ever hear, you know, you're telling a story or you're talking about something and you hear a military guy like, where'd you get your S2? That's what they're talking about. Yep. Like, who the fuck did you hear that from? So, for anybody that cares about that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so teams are teams are built that way because the primary job of our, our our primary focus is you know it's unconventional warfare. Well, what's unconventional warfare? There's a lot of different definitions for it, typically, but like the bread and butter mission for special forces is that UW. Uh, so what do you do with UW? You train, advise, equip a... Uh, a we'll indigenous. An indigenous force in another country that whose that country's government may be unfriendly towards the American interests. Right. And so our job is to work with these people and, you know... Again, advance American interests in that particular region. (laughs) Right. Sometimes successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully. I apologize. My dogs are barking upstairs, my little fucking yip-yip dogs. No, it's all good. (laughs) My Uh, my wife must have left. (laughs) So, um, I'll continue on. So, my next phase of training was phase three. So, phase three, I did language. Oh, yeah. Je apprends la langue de français. That's right. <laughs> Everybody said I got French. I'm like, yep. oh. Well, at first I remember because you were like, were used? and that's kind of like based off of your operational area for yeah. whatever group you're assigned to. You have your choice based on how you score on the test. I, I had a choice between French, Russian, and Arabic. Right. Well, Arabic has almost zero retainability for someone like me. <laughs> <laughs> Russian would be cool, and I know a few phrases in Russian. Right. Enough to get my point across. <laughs> uh, and but I did not have any interest in learning Cyrillic, right? The Russian alphabet for mm-hmm. those of you that don't know. So when you see Russian, 
You see all those goofy characters and backwards R's. That's Cyrillic. Yeah. So French, the language of love. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when I try to use it on my wife, she's like, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> of course, you know, she, she took German in college, so. <laughs> right. Everything just sounds angry. Yeah. So, you know. And that was lengthy. Yeah. So I spent 18 weeks, eight hours a day, just learning to parlay. Yeah. With a little old French lady. Yeah. Yeah, she was she was awesome. I still actually talk to her. Really, that's uh, cool. She's way cool. Her husband was uh, he was an MI guy, military intelligence. Mm-hmm. So he was a linguist. Okay, and you know he was poking around Europe, and I think that's how he found his French wife. Yeah, but nah, she's really cool. And uh, her and my wife are friends on Facebook. Okay, well, we're friends on Facebook. Because we no longer do Facebook at our house, yeah, for obvious political reasons. <laughs> uh, but that's that's as far into politics as I'll get. Yes, because if if not, I'll just edit it out. I know. I appreciate that. <laughs> so anyway, I haven't really practiced it much lately, but I have used it. Like honestly, you know, I I, I did some missions in Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. and French is actually a pretty widespread second language on that end of the continent. Yeah, but most, I mean, there's a lot of parts of the world that speak French, yep. especially when you get into Africa. Yeah, North Africa, it's pretty predominant, mm-hmm. uh, especially Morocco, because mm-hmm. uh, all those old uh, French colonies, Morocco, Algeria, Mali, yeah, uh, and then, uh, of course, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I always laugh because, like, I'll be watching, you know, because all three of us are into obscure fucking foreign movies. I'll find, like, a really weird French horror film, and I'm like, man, I wish I could just watch this without the subtitles and the, the overdub and know what the fuck they were saying. And, uh, like, I was just playing, you know, a couple weeks ago, I was playing Assassin's Creed. Oh, which one is it? Syndicate, I think. No, whichever one is based in Paris during the French Revolution. And, like, as you're running down the street playing in the character, like, people just yell random shit at you in French. And I'm like, I wish I knew what the fuck they were saying. Because <laughs> I'd turn the captions off. And I'm like, so I was like, hey, what does this mean? So I, I can speak okay. My accent is horrible. Right. I, I will admit to that. If, the, if it's slow enough, I can listen. Mm-hmm. But if I'm listening to, like, just a regular speed newscast, I can catch the gist of it. Right. But... But I'd imagine, like, the more that you do it or listen yeah. to it, then the better off you'd you know, be. You know, how do you keep up on it? Do you have, um, like, a French podcast use, you listen to? Use Babbler? <laughs> no, I haven't. I, I just, I actually, I retain quite a bit. Right. And and the best way to retain a foreign language is learn how to cuss an insult in it. <laughs> so, and then, you know, once you've got all that down, you know, then you want to get into your proper grammar for cursing and insulting people. <laughs> you got to get your conjugation right. You know, like, <laughs> je m'appelle et toi. Yeah. <laughs> you just said, I am called et toi. <laughs> so my je m'appelle. Pen- my pencil is big and yellow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so the other way is to watch, uh, watch uh, movies. Okay, but have the American for subtitles me. On. So watch the English language, but have French subtitles on it. Okay, so I did a lot of that through that course, and sure. you know, 
I had They Live with Roddy Piper. Oh. <laughs> and so so to this day, I still remember how to say, I have come here to chew bubblegum and to kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, je suis venu marcher de chewing gum et bottes de cool et je n'ai plus de chewing gum, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's fucking awesome. <laughs> you know. I or, guess it's all like learning a language is about putting in context, and that's something you can remember. You man. know me. I can't remember shit, but if it's from a freaking one of the from awesome a, movies that from, we grew up with, from it's, an it's 80s, burned in there for life. From an 80s sci-fi movie. Yep. yep. And uh, that, yep. Was, that was the other thing that you introduced me on was the Aliens movies. Very early on, you were like, that was your favorite movie of all time. It is still, uh, Aliens is still my favorite movie of all time. The the James Cameron sequel with with the Colonial Marines. And, like, you and your brothers had built a set of armor and a pulse rifle and everything. (laughs) Like, you were fully decked out when we were kids. And uh, I just remember being like, dude, this guy's fucking weird as shit. And then (laughs) getting into watching those movies, and like, these movies are fucking badass. And still, like, my 11-year-old, he's like, Dad. I know I've seen it twice, but can we watch Aliens? I'm like, fuck yeah, we can watch Aliens. That's so, by far his favorite. So it was a few weeks back. My son was, my son has a buddy that lives by us. Yeah. They're like peas in a pod, man. And, well, he couldn't come over and hang out, so he was bummed out. I'm like, come on, let's go over here and let's watch Aliens. Yeah. He's like, okay. So, you know, we watched Aliens. And I'm like, I love this movie. You know, and he's like, this is awesome. His favorite movie, though, is Predator. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. You know, and I, I let him watch that a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's like, I, I think about it, I'm like, how old was I? <laughs> I was like, my parents were letting me watch this. I was like seven. Yeah. I'm you like, know? I turned out fine. <laughs> That's, <right. laughs> That's my gauge. Like, how old was I the first time I saw Total Recall? Eh. <laughs> well, it was like relatively new movie, so... uh. Yeah, fuck it. We'll watch it. So so one more note on foreign language. Yes. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, yeah. So there's a scene in that movie that became even funnier to me <laughs> after I learned French. Right. And it was when they come up to the castle with the Frenchmen. They're like, Who are you? are French. What are you doing in England? <laughs> Mind your own business. <laughs> you know, and then... Well, we're going to attack you, you know. I know that's not the exact quote, but you know, says, they all duck down behind the wall. Well, release the cow. Yeah. So he whispers, jete la vache, <laughs> which is throw the cow. <laughs> They're like, jete la vache. Because <laughs> you know? they throw the cow at him. <laughs> so I finished language. That was awesome. My son was born right after that. Yeah, I remember because. Right at the end of that. Uh, um. Our wives were pregnant together, well, at the same time yep. with our oldest. And yep. I found a picture that I was going through an old hard drive of pictures, and I found that picture of them together because, nice. you know, your wife's, she's tall. She's, yeah. what, 5'10? Well, 5'6. Oh, I thought she was taller than that, but my wife's, you know, like three feet fucking tall. <laughs> so she's, she's almost a legal midget because she's right at five feet. <laughs> But there's a picture of them together, yep. you know, with pregnant bellies. And I found that and was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to send that to you. I don't know if you had Please that picture do. or not, but I'll get it to you. And I, we were on our second deployment at that point in time. Yep. We were already gone in 09. And that's after you had left the unit. And obviously you were yep. well into the, you know, SF stuff. Well, he showed up when we got home in 2010 with a cooler wearing his beret at the airport. Yep. Yep. 
walking around with a cooler full of beer, just handing them out to random dudes. Here you go. Welcome like, back. Fuck yeah. This is Green Beret handing out beer. <laughs> Someone's like, can you do that? Are you going to stop him? <laughs> That's like, <laughs> are you going to tell him he can't do it? That's, I mean, that would have been... That was your mentality even before you went into the SF. Yeah. Like, and that's what I always loved and respected the most about you is that you didn't give a fuck. And that a lot of that rubbed off on me and uh, I adopted that mindset. And I remember. Oh, I did too. I'm yeah. just going to do what I want. And if somebody yells at me, I'll maybe. Like. Maybe uh, comply. You, maybe comply. You know. I'm just going to do what Lee does what. It... <laughs> but my, f- like that first deployment, you know, when we came home, we're still wearing BDUs and you would wear. OD green jungle boots. Yep. You know, the nylon was OD green, which were way out of reg. Because well, at the time, yes according... no. They, they flip-flopped on that regulation back and forth through the AR670-1. Yeah, which is the... That's the Army regulation that tells you... It's a uniform standard. And at that point in time, I think it said you had to have served in combat in Vietnam to wear OD, yeah. green, <laughs> OD green combat boots. So there was one drill I remember we had first sergeant... And it was me and you and another guy, and we're wearing our fucking OD green Altimas at fucking drill. And he made the whole fucking battery get down and do push-ups. Because he was like, I see some of you still can't figure out how to read the fucking AR670-1. You're wearing green fucking jungle boots in my fucking formation. And it was like, eh, fuck you guys. I earned it. I look cooler than you. (laughs) Well, Well, stop making them. Yeah, Stop letting us buy them. Guess who wore... Green jungle boots and tiger stripe fatigues <laughs> and uh, combat. Yep. This guy. Yep. The tiger stripes were a thing. <laughs> I love that picture. It's great. <laughs> or yeah. modify all your stuff so it move your pockets around. Yep. yep. Yeah, take them to the... Because that's what's great about the uh, the alteration shops at, you know, on post at the Haji shops at all the bases in Iraq at the time is you could take them in there. You could ask for anything you want. Yep. And as long as you paid for it, they didn't give a shit. They'd do whatever you want. So you had gone in and you'd taken your, um, taken your lower pockets off your BDU blouses and had them sewn onto your sleeves, yep. which became the thing later on. Like that's how they designed the fucking uniforms because that's what the SF guys and the seals and well, everybody the cool was doing. Kids were doing. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember being like, "You can't do that," but you know what are they going to do? Bend my dog tags and send me send to me Iraq. back to Iraq. Yeah, <laughs> that was my. <laughs> That was my mentality on my second deployment. Like, what are you going to do? Put me on fucking stop loss? Send me back to Iraq again? Like, fuck you. Do yeah. it. You can't take my money. Like, I'm still doing my job. You can't say it's performance related. It's just me not giving a fuck what you say. Well, I hadn't been in that long before we were deployed. So I was just toe the line sort of person because I didn't know any better. But then sure. we get deployed and I'm with all these different people. And then there's this guy who does what he wants and nobody says anything or Nobody can control it. And I'm yep. like, well, if you start that way from the very beginning, then people just assume that's how you are. You can't be some, you can't toe the line for years and decide you're going to be rebellious. You got to start <laughs> off, right? You want to be fucked up. You got to start off fucked up. People just, just accept it. It's just, it's, it's just him. He's yeah. Just there was, up. there was like a shift for me and it was mid, mid deployment on that first deployment where it was like, this is fucking bullshit. You know, and part of that was just the, we talked about yeah. unit, leader, unit leadership being <clears throat> dicked up and just not really knowing what they were doing at the time. And it, you know, I'm not certain that that's exclusive to our unit, but there was, there was a notable shift in my mindset during that deployment from like, I want to do, you know, and it still was, I'm still going to do my job the absolute best that I can. 
but I really don't give a fuck about your dog and, dog and pony show. Uh-uh. I'm not going to play your fucking game. And by the time I got to that second deployment on stop loss, you know, in 09, I really gave no fucks. And your poor brother, oh, so I know. Snake's older brother, uh, at the time was my platoon sergeant. And he's going to be on the show eventually. He, he said that he wants to wait until he retires so he can say anything he wants. Because <laughs> he's still in and serving right now. But he's like, maybe I should wait until I pull the plug to come on there and then just really let all those assholes have it. And I'm like, hey, man, whatever. Yeah, him and I are both just like, are we going to retire? Yeah. We should probably retire. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody, for hanging around. That's been episode 10, Snake Eater Part 1 with my good buddy Snake, and as always, Shannon, when he can join me. I hope you guys will come back, catch episode 11, which will be Snake Eater Part 2 when I get that one done and pushed out. Uh, On a quick admin note, I'm not going to be doing weekly releases anymore for the time being. I need to take a little bit of a season break. This has become a bit overwhelming, but still such a great project and having so much fun. However, uh, I need to do it all my time so it doesn't interfere with other projects in my life because I'm a grown man with other stuff going on. So, that being said, make sure you subscribe on all the platforms you can find us on. Make sure you find me on Instagram. Send me a message if you're interested in being on the show. We'll catch you guys the next time. Stay safe, stay frosty. Catch you on the next one.